Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks ever so much for joining me. Predictably, I've got another great guest for you today. I spoke to singer-songwriter Morgan Kibbe about her spark, Tipsy Lovers, a painting by Gahi Park. Uh, I'd never seen Gahi Park's work before, and I really like it. And I love when guests turn me on to cool new shit. Um, Morgan and I had a really interesting conversation, and we talked a lot about the role of eroticism in Park's work. I mean... You're going to love it. So let's dive in head first, shall we? Quick Morgan facts. Morgan Kibbe is a singer, songwriter, record producer, and former actress based in Los Angeles, California. She is perhaps best known as a member and collaborator of the French electronic group M83 between 2008 and 2015. She has collaborated with and written and produced songs for the likes of Panic at the Disco and Harry Styles. And in 2020, she co-wrote and produced the orchestral interludes on Lady Gaga's sixth studio album, Chromatica, with a 26-piece orchestra. Morgan is also an accomplished composer for film and television, whose credits include The Watcher, Grand Army, and Mothering Sunday. For her latest album, Rookie, she recorded as her newly created sonic persona, Sue Clayton. The album has nods to folk, country, and the singer-songwriter tradition, along with a sprinkle of dark orchestral pop flourish. Rookie is out now, so go ahead and download and or stream it to your heart's content. Quick Tipsy Lovers facts. Tipsy Lovers is a painting created in 2020 by artist Gahi Park. It features a pair of lovers embracing each other while both of them peers with one eye through a half-empty martini glass at a fishbone on a table in front of them. On the painting's left-hand side, a disembodied hand pulls back a curtain, inviting the viewer to witness the scene in front of them. Park's paintings often depict romantic scenes where the ideal has turned sour, and the sexual acts that seem to be transpiring in her paintings are at odds with their quaint settings. And there you have it. Let's get down to business. Here comes my chat with Morgan Kibbe about Tipsy Lovers. The jumping off point with these conversations is always uh, your origin story with the, the piece we're talking about. I know with this particular painting, you have a more intimate relationship with it, having uh, you know seen it in person and um, knowing the owner quite well. But uh, do you remember seeing that painting for the first time, um, whether that's you know an image online or, or seeing it in person? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a fan of Gahi's for quite some time. 
Instagram to me is a tool to discover very specific things. So for me, it's like painters, sculptors, interior decorators, gardens. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I use Instagram as almost like an evolved Pinterest in, in some ways for me. So I tend to rabbit hole on painters that I like, and then I see who they follow and, and kind of go down kind of, you know, that tunnel of discovery. And so I discovered Gahi one day and um, my aunt is uh, an incredible collector in, in Europe. And um, when I went to go visit her one day in London, there it was, Tipsy Lovers. And I was just, I mean, I was like on my knees. I was like, I can't believe that you have a piece by Gary. This is amazing. And, you know, she's kind of a harbinger. I am by no means um, an educated art lover. I mean, to an extent, you know, I've done some basic uh, university exploration, but I, I, I'm by no means an, an articulate consumer of art. But I know what I like, and I'm always, um, my aunt Allison and I always have these very interesting moments where we'll, we've, we've realized that I discover a lot of art that she actually is in the process of supporting early. She likes to support artists early in their career, and he uh, ended up having a piece that my aunt, you know, acquired. And um, yeah, I just remember seeing the piece and I was like, I can't believe that you get to live with this piece every day. What a, what a glorious thing to wake up to. And strangely enough, I did end up waking up to it every day because it ended up in the room that I was staying in last year when I was with my aunt. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I got to go to sleep looking at Tipsy Lovers and wake up to, to Tipsy Lovers. It was wonderful. That's amazing. Yeah, that the I guess talking about this, uh, the point you're making about um, you know not necessarily being an art historian um, and more an appreciator of art. I talk sometimes on this show about um, fine art in particular being something that you can either be an art historian or be you know an artist who has studied uh, art history and technique and look at it from a very analytical perspective. You can be someone who you know, knows something about art, knows like kind of uh, the general, uh, you know, what cubism is, that kind of thing. Right, right. And uh, come to pieces with a little bit of knowledge. But you can also just look at things from a, a totally emotional, personal perspective. And I, I think with this painting, it's very easy to kind of look at it from all those different perspectives and it very clearly evokes this like emotional response. There's a lot going on in it and a lot to kind of, that kind of catches your eye. And I think looking at it multiple times, you can see different details and different things kind of pop out at you. But uh, yeah, just re reading uh, about her work and her influences and, um, you know, what the kind of themes um, of, of her work more generally are about. There's there's a lot of layers of meaning there, um, but I guess just starting from a purely aesthetic um, perspective, it's got this kind of very beautiful, very striking, but has this kind of humor and levity that I think comes in a lot of her work that I really love. It's a slice of life. Mm -hmm. I just think she's so brilliant at communicating a moment in her paintings where it just feels like you're almost not supposed to be there witnessing something incredibly intimate. Like that's how I feel when I look at any of her work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously we had to choose one piece to talk about today, but I think overall as an artist, and it's funny because, you know, I've obviously read some of the statements about her work and, you know, kind of her influences and such, but I, I sometimes I almost like to not dig too deep into it because 
Her work really evokes emotional response for me in a way that doesn't happen very often. And I think to just be completely self-centered about it for a second, I feel <laughs> like with my own work, it, especially with the record that I just made, it was about capturing those little moments that only one person experiences by themselves or perhaps with a lover or another human being. It was just a moment of intimacy, not even with a lover, but just a moment of intimacy and vulnerability. And I feel like her work in a parallel way expresses that visually. I don't know if that was her intention, but that's how I feel when I look at it. And so it almost feels, I almost feel like sheepish, like I'm observing maybe a moment that I shouldn't that is just so special. That's what I just adore about. Uh, and, and of course, so many details, you know, it's like a little ladybug placed right on a windowsill or, mm-hmm. you know, a little, just every time you look at her paint, which is obviously that's the joy of art is to come back in front of it. You know, this is why I can go to a museum and stare at the same painting every time I go, even though I've been seeing the same painting for 20 years. I, it strikes me differently. I'm in a different place in my life where I see a detail that I didn't notice before, or I become curious about like, how did they get that color? Or, you know, and that's kind of like the joy of, of, um, of discovering paintings that have so many layers to them. And her work definitely does. Yeah, definitely. And that voyeuristic aspect of her work, um, you know, I know uh, a a big theme for her and part of her history as, you know, a Korean woman who grew up in a very strict Catholic household and sexual repression was the uh, order of the day. It's a, a rejection of that and also kind of a response to that where it's like seeing, like you said, something that you maybe shouldn't see, but in this joyous way that it's not like shameful. It's like kind of uh, intrigue and like you want, you know, it's it's inviting you to uh, speculate about what's going on, but also very clearly is like we're we're having a peek at someone else's life. Yeah, and it's it's almost like not even I would challenge to say it's not even speculating what's going on. To me, it's more speculating what just happened. Mm-hmm. It's like to me, her work makes me when I see it, it it seems like that breath. I mean, I hate to get go there, but like. After an orgasm or after eating a good meal or, or you're waking up with a hangover and you've just said something to someone and it's that moment where you're staring at each other. There's, it's, it's not necessarily what is going on. It's the moment after the, 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 the thing happens, the big moment. And then you're sitting with how that resonates. And so funny, those moments in life where, you know, we call it synchronicity or maybe you're just in a space. One can be in a space of observing things a little bit closer. but this is also what I love about working with Eva Husson, doing all the composition for her for her work. Is I remember the first film we did. Throughout the film, there are these moments where the radio is on, or where you see a headline on a paper as a brief glance across a landscape of a kitchen. And it, it, it was all about the. There were multiple train wrecks in France during the nineties, I think, at some point. And, and she put those in there to kind of show that those little moments that don't necessarily mean anything actually contextualize a moment or a phase in life. And um, that's what I love about the details in Gahi's work is I feel like, oh, what does that, is that, is that a memory that stayed with her from, you know, a specific experience that she's had? Is that detail important in a way that we'll never know because, you know, you'd have to ask her herself. Right. And I guess it's that uh, kind of juxtaposition of the extraordinary and the ordinary that it's like these things that are commonplace and everyday, but still very exciting and 
that pull you in, you know, the, the recurring, there's a lot of fish bones in, in her yeah. paintings and whether it's this exact couple or just couples that are similar to that couple, um, that recurs a lot in her work, but yeah, re- really exciting stuff. And also just that, that, um, again, the voyeuristic stuff that's happening, it's not just, I mean, you know, there is literally a hand pulling back a curtain. Um, (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's very clear that it's like you looking in on them, but they're looking back at you too, or they're looking out at something else. And it's like- It gets me excited because it's like when you lock eyes with a stranger on a train and you just don't look away, it's so bloody intimate. (laughs) It's so intimate. Mm -hmm. That's the thing about her work is it's like, it's so visceral, you know? I feel like Mm -hmm. when I look at her stuff, it gets me excited. It's like- and there's like a magic, a surrealist magic to her work that also feels very practical. And this is what I love is it's the it's the divine and the earthly kind of like coming together in. And let's be honest, it's never the big things in life that really mark us. Right. It's like the strange, small moments, you know, crying in the arms of a stranger at a party or, you know, I mean, pick your own poison. I think that that's what she's so brilliant at doing is is kind of infusing her paintings with with this it's like an acknowledgement of how human we are and also exalts it to be kind of in the way like Marquez does with his writing you know I remember reading 100 years solitude for the first time and you know he talks about the dentures in the glass with the moss growing on them and just these moments of like magic bizarre beautiful things that just strike you like thunder i guess or they do they do they do for me <laughs> right right and that uh again like the um having something that's every day but also has this kind of fantastic element to it like you know having more than one eye on one side of your face and uh just little details that kind of pop out which are meta which have to be meta i've always interpreted them as metaphors you know mm-hmm. when i see when i see you know a woman with her head on the side and she's looking at us but then her other eyes are either looking at you know a partner or a shadow or this you know it's it's it could be a metaphor for a million different things depending on the painting i always interpret it as the different parts of the self that are observing you know you, your subconscious your conscious your um your your presence your dream state right um and you know i'm just flipping back and forth looking at this painting again but also having the you know it it, it from what i've seen of her other work my assumption is this is a woman and a man and the man has like a single tear going down his face the name of the painting is tipsy lovers so you assume they're a little drunk you can see that they've had they have their cocktails kind of um you know nearing uh nearing empty and all of those little details it's like uh, uh telling a story but letting you fill in in the gaps there of, of what it's supposed to be and she says that like that she puts these little details in to make you say what else does that say about the story? It's all building this narrative that she doesn't want to have, is not explicitly dictating to you what the story is. She wants you to tell the story yourself. And I, I think that's a very, you know, ultimately when you put art out into the world, people are going to tell their own story of what it's supposed to mean. But this feels like a real open invitation. Like she really wants that from you. Yeah, I think the the, the body language that she manages to convey for me, says a lot about how, you know, even if there wasn't the tear, even the way that she 
manages to capture a different emotion in one figure's eye versus the other. It's fascinating, you know, just the fact that they're not looking at each other. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just such brilliant work. I just love what she does. <laughs> Time to stretch our little legs, but we'll be right back after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. I guess another element, I mean, I, you know, in terms of the more explicit stuff or what she says is infused, the meaning that's infused in her work, talking about being coming from Korea to study in the US and experiencing a lot of racism and sexism, not just only generally in the world, but very specifically in art school and part of the kind of uh, theme of watching and voyeurism in her work is this, there's something that's like this secret superpower that she has developed from being, uh, experiencing racism and sexism in the form of being ignored by people and being diminished and underestimated because of the assumptions that people are making about her and turning that into something that she says, well, if people aren't going to see me, I fucking see them. And looking at what's happening in the world around her and thinking, I get to see things in a different way because they think that I'm not there. Well, I mean, isn't that the true gift of an artist, any kind of artist? You know, it's perspective, growth, etc. doesn't happen in moments of ease. It happens when we're challenged. I mean, it's just a reality. Um, it sucks and it's exhausting <laughs> to mm. be human. <laughs> Right. And some people have it harder than others. That is for damn sure. But I think a smart artist, an, an artist who is intrinsically, I think, aligned with what it is to just commit to their work is an artist that takes experience such as hers and uses it as fuel to kind of shape, I think, vision and what they feel is actually worth talking about, which I... I really respect that examination and that um, that discovery process because it takes a lot of guts, I think, to um, to take your personal experience and morph it in a way that allows it to be accessible to other people. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think also another thing that really jumps out to me about uh, this painting and her work in general is this intimacy, expressions of sexuality, different facets of sexuality. And just, again, having these like little glimpses into people's lives generally, but their sex lives in particular, 
and this is um not as totally explicit it's not like you know naked people um which happens a lot in her work but again just the, the kind of the, the story that develops in your mind when you're looking at this um seeing that like the woman's hands are completely around the man um her arms rather and yeah, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, fascinating. It, it, it doesn't always happen looking at paintings that you, you know, there's a narrative that uh, develops in your mind. And at least for me, it's instant, inst- instantaneous that you, you really start trying to kind of understand what the relationship is in, is between these people and, and what's going on there, um, which is, again, very exciting. Yeah, I mean, the erotic is such a powerful well to pull from. And the erotic does not mean it's pornographic, does not mean that it's over-sexualized. You know, eroticism is, I think, a, a big umbrella. And the thing about eroticism, and, and I think as a, as a concept from which to start creating or to use as a tool, uh, as a vehicle, is that it's so visceral, right? You know, it's, um, we've all generally experienced our moments of erotic connection. And by the way, it doesn't mean with another person, which is it could, it, the erotic to me is, it's this, um, it's such a larger definition. It doesn't really revolve around just sex. I mean, that's very reductive. And I feel like when I look at her work, the erotic is used in a way to help us really be in the moment with her subjects. It's like a, it's an olive branch to engage with the painting in a way that pulls you straight in. Whether I understand what she's trying to say or not, I'm pulled in immediately because of such a visceral implication of eroticism. Yeah. Yeah. And it, again, just going back to her, her background and coming from growing up in, in an atmosphere where talking about sex and sexuality and eroticism, all of those things were completely taboo. Nobody was allowed to discuss those things. She even says like she's gotten to a point where her family can look at her work and accept it. They don't really like it necessarily. It still makes them very uncomfortable. <laughs> right. But um just h- how open and honest and frank she is about discussing all of that stuff as it relates to her work and how important she thinks it is uh, to, especially especially for women, especially for women who've come from a kind of repressed background. I mean, she ta- she's talked about like living in Korea and having feet that are too big to find shoes that she could wear and what that meant for um, how people perceived women and, and uh, the ideal version of a woman having these tiny feet and saying she came to America and it was the first time in her life where she could find shoes that actually fit her that weren't two, two sizes too small. <laughs> so yeah, I guess, I, you know, I'm, I'm rambling a bit as I have a tendency to do, um, but <laughs> just, I love it. you know, all, all of those things kind of coming into her perspective uh, on um, – life more broadly on uh sexuality and eroticism and 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 how all those things fit into her work is again it's yeah just really um fascinating to me um and and one of the the things that i i love most about her work yeah and i like that she you know i've never met her i hope to one day i just want to be her best friend i just think she's amazing (laughs) (laughs) um and we're also the same age you know so there's something about Mm. that too that um maybe that's why some of her work resonates with me so deeply is i feel connected to it as a just as a woman in in a very similar phase of life 
but uh, she has a way. Look, I mean, there are many. I do not judge at all. There are many ways that women have combated, I think, oppression, especially around our bodies um, and the expression of our sexuality from the profane to the mundane to the vulgar to the vulnerable. You know, um, I celebrate them all because I think whether it's something I would choose to do is not the issue. I think it's it's um, it can sometimes just be a necessary expression for our culture to move forward surrounding women's sexuality and ownership of body. Mm-hmm. But on a taste level, I just adore the way that she approaches sex and eroticism, the body, the female body. I just find it, it just feels so real. Like it doesn't feel dramatized it doesn't feel vulgar for the sake of being vulgar or and like i just said i think all of those things are necessary i really do i do believe that you know i think an exchange of expression is vital to keep conversation going in our society and in our culture and in our in our, in our art world but uh, but i think just on a very personal level i the way she decides to express those concepts of of freeing the body and eroticism, et cetera. It just really resonates with me. There's something about it that feels, you know, I think, I think it, 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 de- it's a bit de-triggered, you know, her parents, notwithstanding, obviously, but for people like you <laughs> and I, who, you know, we're, I would say we're probably run of the mill people who just kind of, you know, live in society and we don't even like blink an eyelid at like a naked magazine cover or, you know, whatever. I just think that there's something, I just find what she does to be so vulnerable, like the way that she talks the way she talks, the way that she conveys, I think, um, what she's trying to through the body is just very inviting and it doesn't feel confrontational. It feels, like I said, a bit uneasy because it feels like you're observing something that maybe it's like, you know, opening a door and accidentally seeing a very intimate moment with, with two other people. And you're like, Oh God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, the voyeuristic quality that she imbues through that eroticism, I think is really um, I don't know. It just, it's just, it, it become, it, it's almost like it becomes very personal. Like you don't feel like you're looking at something that was painted for a million people at this, to look at at the same time. It's like one of those pieces, you know, this one and many of her others where it just feels like you could sit in front of it and have your own conversation with yourself in front of it. And it feels very like, it's like a little jewel box, you know? Right. Yeah. And I guess, it's it's even more of a testament to her genius that it's work that feels very grounded, but in some ways is quite surreal. There are, uh, you know, the magical surrealism for sure, right? And and maybe not as much in this painting, but some of her other paintings, um, the proportions of body parts and stuff are, uh, you know, not. Uh, what what you would expect to what you'd see in real life, but it doesn't take you out of it. It doesn't make you feel like this is something that's magical that doesn't exist in the real world. It still feels like that's why I brought up Marquez. Is I feel like mm-hmm. as an author, he does the same thing. You know, it, it, it's it, it's any writer. It's reading Vonnegut even where you have these moments where you're like, okay, I'm with you, and then you're like, what the hell are you talking about? You just went on off on such a magical tangent, and it's glorious. And I don't know. I I just find like the an artist's ability to do that, to imbue 
the slice of life daily moments that we all experience as human beings to imbue them with her specific perspective and magic as an artist in the details and in the way that she chooses to communicate ideas through what she paints. I find that to just, I think that is the brilliance of her work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Um, I feel like that is a, a wonderful note to finish on. Well, it was so lovely to talk about this painting with you. Yes, the feeling is mutual. I really appreciate this. I really, really enjoyed this. I love being able to talk about um, work that, that really excites me and, and this qualifies. So I'm glad you liked it. Had, had you just seen it before? or No, no. So um, I also like when people bring me stuff that I didn't know anything about and can kind of turn me on to some new stuff. So thank you for that. Awesome. Oh, my, my absolute pleasure. She's, she's a joy. Yes. Well, it was very nice to meet you, Adam. Yes, you too. Uh, Well, thank you so much again. This has been really, really fun. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. All right. Take care. Take care, Adam. Yay. Thanks again to Morgan for chatting with me. Her new album as Sue Clayton entitled Rookie is out now. Okay. Quick spark of the week from me. Uh, There's a new Amazon series called I'm a Virgo. It's created by Boots Riley, and it is absurd and weird and wild, and I love it. Boots Riley is incredible. He made a movie called Sorry to Bother You a few years ago, which was also weird and wonderful, and I really love his work. I think it's best to go into I'm a Virgo without knowing much about it, but the central plot point is that it's about a 19-year-old black man who is 13 feet tall. Pretty average storytelling, right? Anyway, if you're like me and you love weird shit, you should check it out. And that's about it for this week. Please follow me on social media at Spark Parade. And please check out the extensive Spark Parade back catalog. There is so much content there. It's mind boggling, really. So yeah, take a look. A listen. Whatever. And until next time, bye. Bye.